Well, hey there, podcast listeners. Today I'm in the studio with Pastor Ross, and we're talking through a really hot topic. Not just hot over the last five or ten years, Ross. This has been hot over the last, what, 2,000 years? <laughs> 2,000 years. Would you say? Right. We're trying to figure out the what what's typically called the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. Now, yeah. the, the word Trinity is never used in the Bible, but the monotheism of the Jews, there's one God, only one God, but then suddenly Jesus appears yeah. and and claimed to be God, and so the church had to wrestle with what's the relationship between one God, but Father and Son, and then Holy Spirit. Right. How does that work? Yeah, I've had many people say to me, see, look, the Trinity can't be true because at Jesus' baptism, the Father spoke to him and the Holy Spirit lighted upon him. And we'll get into all of that in this particular podcast episode. But Ross, before we get into the details of the doctrine of the Trinity, and by the way, this is good for Christians to be able to listen to and learn how to articulate for anyone that needs to know this. But I know that probably there are some seekers out there, some people who are on their on their way to pursuing God. They're on the journey. They're not sure what they think yet. And this might be one of the kind of the stumbling blocks for them. And so they're probably interested to hear what we have to say about the Trinity and the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah. But before we get into all of those finer details, why is it even important to talk about this? Well, it's important because this is how God has revealed himself to be. If God is God, I mean, God is God, and so it's important to know him. And God invites us to know him. I mean, the, probably the most important thing about life is, is what you think about God. And if your if your idea of God is real and valid, then you know that unlocks all kinds of eternal and universal uh, opportunities and prospects to us. So mm-hmm. we just have to know who God really is. Okay, so if I were to go to uh, my Bible app and I were to search for Trinity in the Bible, where am I going to find this word? Yeah, this word's not in the Bible. This is a this is a summary word that. The church has developed over the years to summarize a larger concept that's found in the Bible. And so the word itself, the Bible never says, the Bible's not an encyclopedia of, of religious knowledge, right? There's mm-hmm. not an article under T, but the, <laughs> right. the word Trinity is a summary. Um, we could frame it in other different ways as well, but it's a summary of everything the Bible teaches about God, that God has revealed himself to us. So it's throughout the Bible. The concept is there all throughout the Bible, mm-hmm, right. the Word is not. Right. Okay, so um, one last question, preliminarily, before we get into the doctrine itself. This is all just a big tease, right? Does does a person need to embrace the doctrine of the Trinity to have faith in Jesus, to be a Christian? Well, um, I don't think so, ultimately. Mm. I think it's a core doctrine that defines historic biblical Christianity, mm-hmm. I think a person can embrace faith in Jesus without really understanding the Trinity or, right. or grappling with that. I don't think a person can deny the Trinity mm. and if, if they understand it and then deny it mm-hmm. and really be considered a Christian. Yeah, maybe we'll come back to this, because in my mind, this is probably the most important question, is what, what part of this whole topic is salient to salvation, right? right. And, and again, some people might be coming to this topic saying, I want to know, I want to understand this, because this is the thing that's keeping me from becoming a Christian. I I think what I would say to that person is, you know, none of the early disciples could have articulated the doctrine of the Trinity the way we're talking about it today. Is that true? That's correct, yeah. But they were Christians. 
Right. right. And some of you might be listening to this podcast thinking, hey, I, you know what, I'm, I've wondered if I'm really a Christian if I, if I have to listen to this and I don't even fully understand the doctrine of the Trinity. And I would just say, well, you know, join the crowd because right. there are a lot of pe- Christians in history that, that struggled with this or couldn't articulate it. Right. And I would just add one thing in, along these lines as we're talking about the mystery of the Trinity, that I would expect that God is infinite and I'm finite. And as such, I would expect that there are elements of God's nature and character that I would not be able to grasp or comprehend. If God, if I could comprehend God with my finite mind, then he's not big enough to be God. Mm. And so I, I approach this with some humility. And, and also, I can't explain the Trinity, but I can articulate the biblical basis on why we accept that this is the truth. Mm. So there's a difference between explaining how God could be three and one all at the same time. There's a difference between that and being able to explain why we believe it based on the biblical evidence. Mm. That's good. Okay, so let's, after, after all of that, let's get into the doctrine of the Trinity. We're going to break it down. And the first part of the definition, I'm going to go ahead and tee it up for you, Ross, and then let's talk about this. The first part of the definition is that there is one God. So if you're out there taking notes right now, um, the first part of the definition, if you want to write this down, is write down these four words, there is one God. That's the first part of the doctrine of the Trinity. Ross, explain that. Well, the Bible says it over and over and over again. Um, In Deuteronomy, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Isaiah 44, verse 6 says, I am the first and the last, there's no other God. And so this is the consistent testimony of Old and New Testament, one God, one God, one God. That's, um, that's the most fundamental starting point. So why, why can't there be two gods? Why can't there be ten gods? Why can't there be a million gods? Well, we could go into philosophical reasons for that, <laughs> that if you have a, a, a being who's the ground of everything else, you can't have more than one. Mm. The holiness of God, God is unique and distinct. It suggests that there can't be more than one. Um, so, but, but the ultimate reason that we would say there's only one God is because this is how God has revealed himself in the pages of Scripture. Right. It, well, I guess the ultimate reason is because there is, there just is. There is only one There's God, only right? One. Why, why so, can't there be two? Because there is only one, right? right. It's kind so, of the old, yeah. because I said so, right? It's not theoretical. It's the, the way it is. Yeah, God, God has declared it this. He, it, the reason God declared it this way in the Bible is because it's the way it is. Right. There is only one God. Christianity is a monotheistic religion, right? right? It's not tritheistic. It's or, not. Yeah, or uh, polytheistic or pantheistic or anything else. Right. right. There's only one God. Okay. Now, that's the first part of the definition. The second part of the definition, uh, again, so if you're out there taking notes, the first part of the definition is there's only one God. The second part is God is three persons. Now, this is the trickier one for many people to explain and articulate, so let's, let's dive into this. This is tricky because, all right, here's what the, the data of the Bible says. We see the Father is God. That's the starting point. If you look at just the God of the Old Testament who reveals himself as Father. And then, but then as Jesus comes on the scene, we see a lot of evidence that Jesus is God. Uh, people call him God, and he doesn't correct them. He equates himself with God in in a number of ways. And then we see the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit does all the things that deity does. And so for each one of those persons, you can make a case biblically that that that, that, that person is fully God. Now, it's the language becomes confusing. Language becomes difficult because... So we try to say there's one being, 
who e- exists eternally in three persons. But what's the distinction between a being and a person? That's mm-hmm. hard for us to grasp. And so, and so we think, well, there's three persons. There must be three of them, three gods, three per- three beings. Mm-hmm. See, as humans, we're monopersonal beings. Mm-hmm. Our only experience in the in everything that we've ever seen, every person, every being that we've ever encountered has always been a monopersonal being. There's yeah. one being, one person. Yep. But it's not theoretically impossible that there could be a tripersonal being. It's just that we haven't experienced that, so we don't have a category in our mind to to think about that kind of reality. And I think it's important to, to say that instead of trying to explain that away. I, to me, I think this is part of the reason we worship God. God is holy. He's different than we are. You know, I, I say this to people all the time. Mormons, for example, one of the reasons I think Mormons have such a hard time with this is because Mormons believe they can be a god. Right. Well, well, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible actually teaches the opposite. There is only one God, and you will never be one. Right. You will never be that God. And the God that is only one exists like this. There's a sense in which he's one that we call his being or his essence. Right. And there's a sense in which he's three that we call his personhood, right. his persons, which again isn't the, isn't a perfect word. It's right. just a word. Right. But but what I like to say is that's the sense in which he's three: Father, right. Son, Holy Spirit, the right. three persons. They're not the three beings, the three persons. And and then when I if I see someone looking at me and struggling to understand this, I just say, "This is God. He's better than you. You've never met anyone like this before." That's not a bad thing. This right. this is why we worship him. God is different. Right. It's not a bad thing at all. And in fact, when I think about an infinite God like that, that that's what we, it just moves you to worship. It mm. moves you to go, wow, wow, you know. Now I think there's some things that as we grapple with language, like you were saying, there's some there's some errors that we want to make sure that we avoid. Right. Because um, people have formulated the doctrine of the Trinity in in some ways that really don't fully get at everything the Bible's saying. And so we, we want to avoid confusing the, the three persons. The Father is not the Son, the mm. Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father. And so people ask me, well, who is Jesus praying to in the Garden of Gethsemane? Mm. It's kind of like, oh, see, was he praying to himself? Mm. No, because the Father is not the Son. The right. Son was praying to the Father, right. okay? That's as simple as that. So we don't want to confuse the three persons, and God is not just like, sometimes he wears the God costume, Mm. sometimes he wears the Son costume, sometimes Mm -hmm. he wears the Holy Spirit. It's not like there's these three roles that he flips in between, Mm -hmm. like sometimes I'm a dad, sometimes I'm a husband, sometimes I'm a son. Mm. Um, It's more than that. It's more profound than Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, in fact, one of the one of the things, if you study this, and I encourage, there's some great things to read up on this. I think Wayne Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology is a real good, accessible read if you want to dig into this. Um, one of the, one of the things that he mentions in there is that you, there's really no illustration that captures this. In fact, most illustrations are actually heretical, right. Right? right? Ross, let's go over a couple of those. Maybe some of these illustrations people have used. I remember as a high schooler. I use the illustration of God is like H2O, right? That sometimes he's water, sometimes he's ice, sometimes he's steam, right? right? Um, and so I didn't realize that I was, I was spouting heresy. Is that true? Right. It's a heresy called modalism. Yep. It says sometimes God is this, sometimes he's that. Uh, because water, one molecule of water is never ice, liquid and steam all at the same time. Mm. Um, 
And so it's not like God, God is not like flipping back and forth between three phases. Mm. So that, that, that illustration, it might be helpful at first glance, but mm-hmm. ultimately leads you into a misunderstanding. Yeah. The same thing with people say time, past, present, future, or an egg. An egg, yeah. An egg, there's a yolk, a white, and a shell. Yep. But, but the white and the shell are two completely different things, mm-hmm. and they, they don't... There's only one egg, but... So we don't say that God is partly the Father and partly the Son mm. and partly the Holy Spirit, that this part of God is this, but that there's just one God... Yeah. Who exists eternally in these three personal manifestations? Yeah, and so what? What percentage of God is the Father? Yeah, that's the that's the a fallacy of the egg illustration. Yeah, it's a right? third. You know, you'd say well, some people might think well, it's a third. God the Father is a third God. God the Son is a third God. God the Holy Spirit is one third God. And they all make up one, but they're all one hundred percent. So, so somebody once said that the fallacy is. Um, if you use a math analogy, one plus one plus one is three, mm-hmm. but one times one times one is one. Mm-hmm. And so that's, again, not perfect, but it sort of gets at the, the idea mm-hmm. that the relationship between the three doesn't add up to three, right. it adds up to one thing, one being. Right. And so one times one times one might be a better illustration. It than, might. Than it might. Obviously, things. all all illustrations of an infinite being are going to fall short at some point. Yeah, but what I what I do like is that w- what we're saying is that God that Jesus is fully God, and th- th- to me this is important for people to understand. Jesus is fully God, one hundred percent fully God. Jesus isn't God Junior. Right. He isn't a little bit God. He he wasn't sometimes God. Right? right? Jesus is fully 100% God. The Holy Spirit is fully 100% God. God the Father is fully 100% God. And yet, when we're talking about distinction, because Ross, speak to this, I know for me, when I first started to understand the Trinity, I, I was very comfortable talking about his unity and his essence, the, the one, the one, there's one God, but I was unclear about how to talk about his dis- the distinctions in the persons because I felt like I was being heretical a little bit if right. I said, God right. the Father's not God the Son. God the Father's not God the Son. Is that true? That is, that is true. The problem is that we don't have any analogies. Right. It's not like a, a, someone with multiple personality disorder. You <laughs> right. Know? Or is that someone who's, who's talking to themselves, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it's just beyond our comprehension a little bit. But uh, one of the things we can say about it is that each of the members of the Trinity has a different role to play in salvation. The Father didn't die on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. He right. was sent by the Father. And also, but each member of the, of the triune God, each one of them possesses all of the attributes of deity in completeness, in fullness. They're all fully God in every way. Yeah, one of the... I think that's a really helpful way to, if you're trying to wrap your mind around this make make three lists what are what are things that only Jesus did right again you cannot say that God the Father died on the cross right that, that, to me that just this just shows the distinction mm-hmm. it would be theologically wrong to say God the Father died on the cross could you say God died on the cross yeah yes you right. could you could and generically speaking generically yeah. speaking but you couldn't say God the Father died on the cross you couldn't say the Holy Spirit died on the cross because it was Jesus's role to die on the cross right. 
um, Jesus, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit has roles, right? right? right. It's the Holy Spirit's role to convict the world of sin and guilt, right? right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really valuable, I think, as any of, any of you out there, as you're trying to wrap your mind around this, even as you just read the Bible devotionally, just if, if you're trying to understand this, take some notes on this is what Jesus specifically did or does. This is what the Holy Spirit's role is in my life. And it could be a really enriching experience for you. Yeah, very much so. All right, Ross, explain this passage to me in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus, right? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. The question is this. Did, did something change with the second person of the Trinity? Was Jesus always here? Or did Jesus come 2,000 years ago when he was born into the world at the, in the manger? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, John chapter 1 su suggests that Jesus always existed, but something did change in his relation to uh, the world that he created, mm -hmm. because the, the eternal Son of God, who was with God in the, in the beginning, he became human. Hmm. So we call that the incarnation. He became human. And so... Um, that's also kind of confusing, because how can he be fully human and fully God at the same time? Right. You know? And how can he re retain all the qualities of deity when he's fully human? Mm. Um, but understanding that, there's a, that he possesses a spirit and a body, mm -hmm. we can say that he's infinite, mm -hmm. and we can also say that he was located in a particular place in a particular time. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, he's still the same being, the same person, um, but now has taken on this new characteristic, this new quality of being human. So I could imagine some people just wrestling with this. To me, this is, I think, one of the stickier points when you're talking about the nature. And I know the early fathers struggled mm -hmm. to wrap their mind around these things too, right? In what, in what sense is, is Jesus God, right? And, and in what sense it, was there change, right? If God is unchanging, well, then if he took on flesh... Did, did the second person of the Trinity just change? Yeah. Well, it, we say God is unchanging with respect to um, the fundamental attributes of his character, mm. but God still interacts with his creation. Mm -hmm. And so God is... So to say that God is unchangeable or immutable is, an, is not an absolute thing. It just means with respect to the things about him that really count, mm -hmm. we, can, we can count on God not being compassionate one day and uncompassionate the next day, mm -hmm. or being just one day and unjust the next day. So would it be incorrect for me to say that Abraham, uh, that Jesus knew Abraham in the Old Testament? Um, well, there's it, a fine point here, okay? Right. There's a fine point. It, it may not be quite correct to call him Jesus right. before the Incarnation, mm -hmm. Because he was he was the Son of God. He was the second person of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. uh, he wasn't really Jesus until he became human, mm -hmm. and that was his name, the name given to him as a human infant. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's kind of a fine point. It might be a little bit of semantics, but we can say that he was definitely he was God, mm -hmm. but he identified as Jesus in the incarnation. So the second per did God the Father at the beginning of the world did he did he call God the Son? Jesus, probably not. <laughs> probably not. Well, yeah, I mean, I, maybe yeah. it seems like a yeah. silly thing to ask, but we don't. There's no mention of the name Jesus right. in the Old Testament, obviously. Right. Not right? before. Not before the birth. But then there's a question some people have: Does the second person of the Trinity show up in the Old Testament? 
Well, they all, all of them do. All of them show up in the Old Testament, but it's not as clearly differentiated. Right. Sometimes it's not God the Father who's acting. Mm. Sometimes it's just God, mm-hmm. undifferentiated. So you know, so when Isaiah says, "There's no other God, and there's no no one but me," who's speaking there? Mm-hmm. The Father, the Son, or the Spirit? Well, it's probably not fair to to drive it to that extreme to say, "No, God is speaking." And that's all all we need to know. Mm-hmm. That's all that is in play. All right, so so I can hear some listeners asking this, Ross. So wait, are you saying does God have a body then, right? Well, yes and no, right? Mm-hmm. Because this is where we were talking earlier about the proper distinctions between the persons of the of the triune God. Right. And so God the Son has a body. Mm-hmm. He'll be embodied forever. He's 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 human forever. Yeah. In a glorified Form resurrected, of humanity, yeah, resurrected, resurrected body. The, God the Father doesn't have a body, mm. and and the Holy Spirit does not have a body, mm. and so yet yet they're one being. Um, Jesus has a body; the Father doesn't. Now I want I want the listeners just to go back and rewind what Pastor Ross just said. He because Ross, what I love about this is you're talking with confidence about the distinction between the persons of the Trinity even though there's no way for us to wrap our mind around how that could possibly be that there's one God, there are not three gods, there's one God who exists in three persons, and the second person has a body, and the first and third persons don't have a body. Right. It truly is a mystery. It's, it's a paradox, and it's a mystery, and it's a beautiful mystery, but it's, it, I don't think, I guess my point, one of the reasons I'm asking these questions, Ross, is because I want to I make sure that people learn how to speak confidently about this without being kind of nebulous and gray. I think the way right. you the way you speak to this, this is what I keep coming back to people that are struggling with this. I say four words, one being three persons. That's right. that's what the Trinity is all about. One being three persons. Right. I embrace the one being 100% mm-hmm. and I embrace the three persons 100%. Right. 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 That, and that's that's great because again, I like I said before, I can't explain how it works but I can explain what it is, just mm. like you did in four simple words. That's the summary of the, all the biblical teaching. And here's the thing, is that if we take seriously everything that the Bible says about God, this is where you end up. This is inevitably—we don't believe this because it's so— you know, because somebody said one day, sat down and said, let's create some mumbo-jumbo about God or something like that. Right. We believe it because of our commitment to, to the authority of the Bible. God has revealed himself, and if you take— Everything in the Bible, seriously, you end up with this. If you don't, you can go off the rails in, in, in one direction or another. Right. And this is what I would say. This is when I genuinely find people that, that are struggling to understand this, genuinely trying to understand this, what I like to say to them, and, and if, you, if you're one of those listening right now, I, I just want you to at, answer this question. How would you describe the Trinity? Or sorry, not the Trinity. How would you describe God? Right. right? We, because I think if you, if you, only pick one of these things, I don't believe that you can really be a biblical Christian. Right. Right? Right. So the the question is whether you take seriously all of God's Word. Right. Now, maybe some people might be able to really challenge me on this, and I'm, I'm not trying to be arrogant in saying this, but for me personally, when I look at God's Word, there's no way for me to understand the character and nature of God without embracing this paradoxical idea of the Trinity. Right. right. But we hold and we hold these two things in tension: mm. the oneness of God and the and the th- the deity of the three persons. We hold them in tension, 
Um, someday maybe we'll make it'll make sense to us when we're glorified, you know, and we can meet God face to face. But if we if we deny one or the other, we end up if we deny the oneness of God, we end up with more than one God. We end up with something like Mormonism. Hmm. If we deny the deity of the three persons, like say that Jesus is not really God to mm-hmm. maintain the oneness, then we end up with something like Jehovah Witnesses. Mm-hmm. And so all of the heresies of the of the past two thousand years most of them boil down to um, failing to uphold some key element of this biblical uh, formula. Okay, so let's come back to this question that I started with, Ross. How does this relate to someone's salvation, right? So we, we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you don't, you don't have to really technically believe in the Trinity to be saved. The Bible doesn't say that, right? Right. The Bible says that confess in Jesus Christ, trust in Jesus Christ right. to be saved. So... So what, how does this relate to salvation, Ross? What would you speak to that? Well, I'd say this is the, this is the God that, who has revealed himself to us, so it's really an important idea. Mm-hmm. It's an important doctrine. None of us, none of us um, grasp all of theology uh, when we come to faith in Christ. There's, all of us have all kinds of issues that we don't fully understand or right. we haven't heard about before or, or that we don't get or maybe that we're working on when we come to a personal encounter with Jesus that results in the forgiveness of our sins. But the more we learn, the more we grow, then this is what will take shape in your your life. This is the understanding of God. You ultimately submit to biblical authority and God's authority through the Bible. And so that's why I said earlier that you don't have to understand the Trinity in order to be saved, but you can't deny the Trinity Hmm. in order to be called a genuine biblical Christian in the historic sense. Hmm. Well, that's our Trinity conversation for now. Again, if you want to check this out, have a conversation on this with your group, with your mentor, with a family. You can check it out at PursueGod.org. The series is called Making Sense of the Trinity. I encourage you to check it out. Dig into it, read up on it, talk about it, challenge each other, really continue to grow on this important doctrine of the Trinity. We'll see you next time.